Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Intercooler podcast. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 172 of the Intercooler podcast with me, Dan Prosser, and Andrew Frankel, my co-host. Now, this week, we're talking about soundtracks how important is a great soundtrack in a performance car so andrew and i discussed this between us but before that we bring in an expert someone who actually does this for a living um, his name is ian suffield he's a sound engineer at jaguar land rover so he really knows his stuff um, he's worked on lots of different jlr products including the ipace so not just combustion cars he's worked on the electric ipace on the jaguar f-type on range rovers so he's got really broad experience that he can um, talk to us about. Now, before we get on to that, I just want to tell you a little bit about our first event, which we announced a week or so ago, maybe a little bit more, um, at Henry's Car Barn um, in the Midlands with Henry Catchpole as the special guest. Those are two different Henrys, by the way. Um, it's our first live podcast recording, but it's a bit more than that. It's kind of a social event. We're putting on food and drink. Um, there are going to be a few TI writers milling about, um, and we've got time to hang out and catch up with people. It's at a great location, a great venue as well, Henry's Car Barn. Um, so it's going to be, I think, quite a special evening. Um, now, amazingly, and honestly, no one's more surprised at this than us, we sold out all the tickets in three days. Um, <laughs> I had no idea what to expect. Was it going to take up until the day before the event to sell them out? In fact, it just took three days. Um, and a huge thank you to Footman James, the specialist classic vehicles insurance provider, um, for sponsoring this first event of ours. And I know there'll be lots of people who wanted to come and didn't manage to get a ticket. We have another event coming soon quite soon actually, um, a, a bigger venue, so hopefully more of you can come. 
um, and there'll be special guests there as well. So just listen out, watch out for news on that on our social media, on the app and website and on this podcast as well. We'll have news of our next event coming very soon. But to everyone who bought tickets for our first, thank you so much to Footman James for sponsoring it. Thank you. And to Henry's Car Barn for hosting us. Thank you as well. Okay, enough of that. Now let's get on with this week's podcast. Ian, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Um, no, pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. To, to get us started, can you just describe your job at Jaguar for us, please? Um, my role is uh, technically as an acoustics technical specialist. Um, but what that really means is or I get to play with sound an awful lot, sound of cars. And um, I get to basically work out how we're best going to use sound within our cars to invoke emotional responses or convey information or uh, basically design the sounds of the car and, and everything around that acoustic environment. So that does that, include... Sorry, go on. So I was just going to say, I presume we're talking more than the sound of the engine. Presumably it's everything up to and including the sound of the warning you get when you don't plug your seatbelt in. Uh, yeah, I love user interface sounds. That's that's one of my uh, one of my things. Um, so yeah, I, I work within a team of we, we call ourselves MVH, which is noise, vibration, and harshness. And there's a there's a team of probably a hundred and something of us through the company. And most of the the MVH engineers are designed to make the cars uh, problem free, make them as refined as possible, and make them super super quiet and refined when you want them to do so so reducing wind noise reducing air acoustic noise making sure that your doors sound nice and solid and all that sort of good stuff where i come in as the as i say the sound funk sound design technical specialist is to actually add that bit on top and it's to help make sure that your your sports cars sound really super sporty and that your um, range rovers when they when they want to drive around actually sound like they've got enough power and reserve and it's properly defining the acoustic space to to reflect the luxury that we want to do so cars have a a sort of a bandwidth of capabilities if you like if you think they're uh, they do more than just transport you from a to b they want to actually project image they want to reinforce things that you you think and consider around yourself and the sound is one of those functions um, the sound I see you've got posters of racing cars behind you Andrew so you know yeah. that sound that um, you know that that sporting and racing heritage is something that you might want to invoke in a product so something like the f-type where we've gone through and uh, archived it in the British Library because we're really proud of the way it sounds and that is by design of what we've done for that car and by and choice it, it, if, if you've got two cars with, you know, essentially identical powertrains, I don't mean maybe there's a Range Rover and a Range Rover Sport. So, yep. I mean, they're quite closely positioned from the same manufacturer and they've got yep. the same powertrain. You're going to tune them to sound distinctly different to each other, presumably, according to what is the perceived character of those cars. Absolutely. Well, yeah. yes, this is, uh, this is exactly what we have. So it is the same engine that's in the F-Type and in the Range Rover. Yeah. So, yeah, in one instance, you absolutely want to hear the visceral beating of it and it wants to invoke all the excitement and spine-tingling excitement as you go through. And in the other, you want the absolute luxury of silence. You want it to be just calm, powerful, restrained, refined. But it's the same block, as you say. It's the same powertrain that goes through. So 
my role, uh, as I say, as sound design and then working with the whole range of engineering teams, because obviously I don't actually go and cut the exhausts anymore and I don't cut the intake systems anymore. I did. <laughs> you know, there's, there's, there's whole groups of us that have been in uh, periods of time cutting exhausts open and changing bits of perf and pack and pipe to, to design the sounds that we absolutely want to hear. So I've been with the company quite a long time and uh, yeah every so often i get to see a cargo pass and i look at it and go oh, i did the exhaust on that so we're we're doing this now because as you did mention ian the the exhaust node the engine note of the jaguar f type r the v8 one yeah has just been recorded and stored for posterity in the british library it's been archived for all time actually so th- the point of this is that as jaguar moves towards electric cars only electric cars and near silent running but we'll come to that yeah um the the soundtrack of a raw aggressive sports car like the f-type r well we're not going to continue to produce cars like that for a great deal longer are we it seems so it is important to store these sounds where they can be heard forever this is the last combustion engine jaguar sports car however the the point about the archive at the british library is is that sounds there uh they store sounds there that we don't hear anymore let's hope though we continue to hear the soundtrack of an f-type and many other sports cars because they'll continue to be used um but can you talk us through the process of recording those sounds uh those two clips for um for the british library please sure um yeah i mean we we recorded them in a we have a what's called a semi-anechoic chamber so it's a four-wheel drive diner rolling road which can take several horsepower because obviously as four-wheel drive and 575 ps you need to need to be able to absorb that so and then it's all a a set concrete floor and then we have the traditional wedges on the on the side of the wall and all above the ceiling so it's a massive big chamber with the wedges around it that makes that takes out the the acoustic reflections and therefore you can focus very much on the sound of the car itself and then we had microphones inside the car to, to hear what the driver hears. We had them outside the car to collect the exhaust and, you know, up the front of the car to get the intake raw. Because, um, as I say, when we're doing the sound design of a car like that, it is a mix of intake raw that you hear, uh, exhaust system raw that you hear, and also the structural transmission of the, the, the powertrain through the body into where the driver's doing. So you will you have to mix and blend all those paths to get the driver experience through. Um, so as we went on to the, the chamber, then we then drove the car. We, we took a, you know, full, full sound stories, if you like, of, you know, sort of walking up, starting the car, blipping the throttle, driving and accelerating through gears. And, uh, you know, and again, the downshifts, because you can, you can spend a lot of time tuning your downshifts because with your fueling strategy, you can invoke a little bit of excitement with some crackles and pops if you're uh, feeling responsible. Um, so we then drove that on the rolling road and then sort of it was pieced together to, to capture a story that captured the emotion of the F-type. So, yeah, it's no sort of single microphone, it's no single story, but it captures you know, the feeling and the emotion of the of the F-type as it accelerates and decelerates and blips and, uh, and yeah. does all the things that drivers love. Yeah, so, so there, are, there are two clips that are going to be stored in the British Library. I'll play um, the shorter of those two clips now. It's a 30-second clip.
It's a very distinctive sound, I think. It's quite a... I, you'll, I'm using all the wrong words here, and you'll rebuke me for it, but I think it's a dirty, kind of bassy sound. It's, <laughs> I call it distinctive because I think I could... You could pay, play me the sounds of 10 V8s doing the same thing, and I think I could pick out the F-Type R sound because... It's totally different to a screaming Ferrari V8 or a, even a big Detroit V8. It's, it's yeah, an unusual it's, sound. And presumably that's, that's, that's by design, isn't it? it? It sits between those. So, so yeah. our heritage is not with the, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the cars you mentioned have very characterful engines. And we wanted something slightly different, something that did both the low frequency power and muscle and the promise that was coming through. But a lot of those engines, as you say, they run out of puff at the top end. And then some other engines, they don't have the low end grunt. But my mm. God, do they sound good when they're screaming up at the top end. So, yeah, we, we will work really hard to, to design. As I say, when you're designing your redual systems and when you're designing this sound and stuff, you can take out, you can analyse the different sounds that you like and analyse the bits that you like of them. So that low-frequency grunt comes from that sort of sense of modulation and that sense of power. So if you want that modulation, you can balance your, your banks differently because you've got V8. You can, how much bank balancing you do gives you how much modulation comes through. When you're doing your, your top-end crescendo, you can pick that. That's a resonant frequency that the orders of the engine, that each time it fires, are going through. So you can pick that resonant frequency and tune your intake or exhaust system to have that resonance in there. And therefore, you can crescendo up and you get sort of like an audio sh shift light. So you, you know that the engine's reached the top of its range because all of a sudden it goes, <laughs> right, time to go. And then you can do, and do it again and do it again, which is... And can, I, can I ask, how much of, because you talk very passionately about this, but you also talk in, ter in quite technical terms. So yeah. what, in terms of how you do your job, what's the sort of the, the art and science split? How much of it is subjective? How much is it objective? How much can you actually do without ever listening to anything? Or, and, and how much do you, is it just your gut feeling, your ears, uh, and you trusting that what you, you like the sound of is the same as what you know the customers are going to like the sound of? Okay, this is... This is part of the fun bit. So I love on the art side. I love, so I'm, I have hobbies in sound design and going off and making sounds. This is why I love the user interface chimes and all, all sorts of things like that. Um, but I have to be able to couch that in a language that other people can deliver. So yeah. there's, there's other people that work in strict engineering terms, in terms of resonances and, you know, engine orders, which is your harmonic firing structures and all those sort of, you know, DB levels, what do we want? And so I'm... I, I, like you say, I go and go and we'll find interesting sounds and we'll, we'll have recordings or take recordings of various different cars and bits that I like. And the art bit is to extract what emotion those things invoke and how do they do it? What is it about that sound that's interesting and how do, how do we then couch that in engineering terms that we will, um, you know, either recreate or learn from or have a bit of. And that gives you the, the palette that you can then go and design your sound from. So, yeah, I, I sit on the outside, but there are, as I say, teams and teams of people that actually go and work on the engineering side to deliver these sort of things. So the, you know, structural resonances or whatever, yeah, I say pipe lengths, intake, intake orders and stuff. Um, and I wouldn't, you know, those guys actually deliver the whole thing, and I'm just interested in what, in the emotional response that comes through. 
And, and how much are sounds these days, um, the sounds that you create, how much of them are actually sort of genuine sounds that the engine are playing and how much are being played through, you know, the, the stereo in the car and that sort of thing? Because, I mean, that happens a lot, doesn't it? It does, it does. Um, but so, so my view is, is that where we are as, as the luxury brand, everything is sort of curated. So we, we discussed having the same engine in the Range Rover and in the F-Type. So in the Range Rover, you absolutely, you, you reduce down the sounds that's in there and you make sure that the sound that gets to the driver is that luxury. It's uh, powerful enough without being that huge modulated V8 because that's not Range Rover. So it just makes you sure that it's got enough propulsion power to go through. Um, and then in the, the F-Type, I sort of think about it as the, it's, it's not even the 1%, it's the half a percent. That is one that has to absolutely, hairs on the back of the neck, prickles, go through, and it's anything that was inauthentic in that, anything that, that didn't sound right or sounded fake, can't go in because it will just absolutely shatter it. Um, so there's a, there's a range of ways, as I say, we've mentioned exhaust, we've mentioned intakes and structural, I've, I've been there bolting masses onto structural cross members and stuff, but yeah, electronics and sound reinforcement in through the cabin exists, but you've got to remember how much that can do and use it as another colour palette within what's available. And actually, the F-Type R that we're, that we're working with is so visceral, it absolutely has to be that mechanical uh, nature. We don't reinforce that one electronically. Wow. Um, just I thought everybody was doing it. Um, well. Important point. Uh, you know, something like the I-Pace, we absolutely reinforce electronically. Of course. Because it's, it's an electric car. So we will make sure that that sound delivers completely to the I-Pace brand. Um, but the F-Type, that's different. And we're talking about the, the 1%. So I can, within my range of tools and technologies go and resynthesize an engine sound that sounds quite cool but you know and for a lot of people it would sound okay but actually we're we're discussing that you know the one percent the half a percent of people that will actually tell that these things are inauthentic and if you can't satisfy you know you're really top end then then we're not happy to let it go and, and I guess that's the thing. With something like an F-Type R, it has to be authentic. It has Absolutely. to be real. People have to believe that the noise they're hearing is the sound the engine is making. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. because because that's what drives it. It's it's not an illusion. It is there. It's not even believing it. It is actually doing that. Yeah. And that is hard work. You know, it actually would be much easier for us to, yeah, stick a load of sine waves in through the speakers and recreate that. But it's not... As I say, if, if, if you did that and broke the illusion, you'd actually break the trust in the car. And, you know, you wouldn't believe it was doing what it was doing. Um, you know, in the early days of sound reinforcement, you know, there were, there were cars that didn't have very many horsepower that sounded like thumping great V8s. And that's not good. That gets you into trouble. You think you've got more power than you have and you're not going to, you know, you know it's, it's, it's not truly reflective and authentic to the brand. And we want to be, you mm. know, real, how, authentic. How much... How much difference can you make? I, I can remember years and years and years ago, I went down to Ricardo yeah. um, into their chamber. And their particular challenge at the time, and I'm not going to mention any names um, because it wouldn't be professional, but th they had been given a challenge, which was to make a V8 sound like a straight six. Right. Um, which strikes me as being quite a tall <laughs> order. Or, or, or make it sound as less, as, as less like a V8 and as most like a V6, a straight six as possible. Mm -hmm. I mean, how much... How much difference can you actually make to the sound a car produces, both in terms, I guess, in terms of quality and quantity? 
I'd like to think quite a lot. As I say, under yeah. my range of technology, so the ones that I've I've worked on, we don't I don't just do sound reinforcement, but we also do it, uh, noise cancellation. So we have both engine noise cancellation and uh, road noise cancellation within our portfolio. So in terms of engine order cancel engine noise cancellation, what we what we can do is we can use anti-noise through the speakers, like in your headsets, to actually reduce the uh, the main firing harmonics. So your V8 has a particular firing pattern that introduces a particular set of harmonics, so fourth, eighth, sixteenth, and then depending on if you've got you know flat plane crank or cross plane cranks, you get half orders or modulation yeah, yeah. between those sort of things. So we can track very accurately what the engine's doing and then generate an antiphase sound. So if we wanted to we could then cancel the fourth order that was generated by that V8 and indeed some of the second order that was done. And that would take away the base character of it. And you'd be left with all the engine mush up the top, if you like. So all the mechanical stuff going through. Um, then, so could you, make a, could you make a cross plane crank sound like a flat plane crank? We can, <laughs> again... You can get some of the way. We, we, you get some of the way. I mean, if you want to discuss the 1%, they wouldn't believe it. You yeah, know, okay. you know, it's not there. It's not authentic. So it's not what we want to do. So again, you can take these things. You can use the sound cancellation. We can add different orders back in, and it will do something like it. But would you want to? You know, if you want yeah, to truly no, I'm have sure, people, I'm sure, I'm, sure you I'm sure you wouldn't want to. Yeah. But I'm just, I'm just interested in what you, in, in just the breadth of capabilities and just how much in extremis you can actually achieve with, um, with, with, with sound design. Yeah. Um, so, as I say, it's, I mean, if you think of it in terms of music production tools and synthesis, so, you know, we, we started with synthesizers early on and you had your analogue synthesizers and stuff, and you could almost make it sound like a trumpet, you know, with a square wave and a filter, and it almost sounded like a trumpet, and, yeah, you'd, you'd fool sort of 20% of the people. Then you got better synthesis methods, and it sounded more like a trumpet, and you'd do 80% of the people, but, you know, these days, if you're making records and that, you have big sample libraries, and they don't try and synthesize a trumpet anymore. You get samples of it, and they're multi-sampled, or every pitch and every velocity and every you know thing. So, so you use that sample library for that sense of realism. And then, of course, actually, if you're doing your massive big Hollywood blockbuster, you don't use sample libraries at all. You still go and get the big orchestra because that is what <laughs> really plays it through. So, it's like that. You can. Yeah, it's it's how much you want to do like it, and how much you really want to provide a proper experience for it. We've um, <clears throat> we've got into the nitty gritty, the detail. Of Sorry, it, yes. right? There's no, that's great. That's what we wanted. But I I just want to roll back a little bit. Why is the soundtrack in a sports car important? Is it just because it sounds nice, or is there something deeper going on? Is it connecting you to the car in a, a more profound way? Is it helping you understand what the engine is doing? Second I, by second, I believe it is, and I believe that's what we've—that's what I've worked very hard with on the iPace as well. Because, um, yeah, so as I say, my, my my role and interest of using sound to invoke either information or emotions in there um, is is exactly what you're asking. So there is something about hearing that that particular set of frequencies that's really exciting, and it's more than just level. Because if you think of the Formula One engines when they went from V8s, V10s down to V6s. Yeah, they were quieter, but they didn't actually sound quite as interesting. Absolutely. And so that's that's fascinating because you can tell that even just listening on your phone. 
So at a low level, so it's nothing to do with volume level. It's all to do with content and and frequency content and how it how it works. So those um, the, the 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 V8 Formula One engines uh, put a lot of frequency information in sort of a about a one to three kilohertz band. And actually, the V6s didn't. They had a lower frequency, and they didn't do that. Um, again, sorry, for, sorry for going a bit technical. No, no, keep going. Your your ear's response to different frequencies is not flat. You don't hear all frequencies equally. You have a, a heightened sensitivity at a particular frequency band, and it is thought or generally accepted that that's usually to do with the, the frequency of either twigs snapping if you're being stalked by a tiger or babies crying because you need to know where they are. And those sort of, even even horror movie soundtracks, you think Psycho or whatever, those those sort of really sharp frequencies are the ones that, that invoke the emotion they're the ones that, that get the hairs on the back of your neck stood up That's and you've got to go and tend your baby or something like that. So that frequency range where your ears are most receptive is the one that can you know, really invoke, invoke that response. So when the Formula One engines went from the, you know, dominating in that frequency range to dominating somewhere else, uh, you just went, oh, do you know what, I'm not that bothered. And it's, and it's that band of frequencies that you can you can control. So what what's interesting for me then is to take some of that and invoke a bit of that so you get some excitement. Because obviously too much and you get it's yours because you're sensitive and it becomes harsh and, and horrible and, and but the emotion of the hair standing up on the back of your neck, whether it's a baby crying or whether it's a horror movie or whether it's a sports car that's visually accelerating and you're hanging on to, um, you know, they're they're on that emotional spectrum and they can be be triggered by sound. So what 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 you're saying is it, it actually because I've been, I've always wondered why I don't know I love the sound of a V12 um, at seven thousand rate and what what I think you're saying is that these things trigger something within our inner caveman there is something which is almost you know at a genetic level programmed into us to take notice of these sounds and if you go out of those particular sound ranges. We take less notice, we are less interested, and therefore find them more boring. Is, 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 that, is, just, is that a real layman's approximation of what we're talking about here? It, it's on that sense. So, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever heard us talk about sound level in terms of dB or sometimes dBA. Yeah, yeah. And that, that A-weighting network is designed to compensate for your ear sensitivity, so you get an equal loudness. Uh, but that's at a low level, and as sounds get up, that, that curve changes and stuff. But, yeah, we have designed and evolved... To have that frequency sensitivity, where we're, we're heightened sensitivity at there, and it, it it can be no mistake that babies crying and scary things uh, all fit into those sort of frequency bands. So, again, yeah, it's it's part of the part of the bit I love is right. How much of that can I actually invoke? What is it within that sound frequency range that I need that I can invoke so that I can invoke some excitement and a, and a sense of that screaming through. And what is it about the large capacity V8s when they're modulating at low frequencies that gives me a sense of purpose and powerfulness? And if I can extract the information from those, then I can start to design and put sounds back in that deliver the experience in line with the car. So the I-Pace is a, um, you know, an SUV. Uh, it's not an absolute race car, but at the same time, we can start putting some sounds in so that it sounds like it's got enough power as you accelerate through from the low end. It's got that push sound. And when we were designing the sounds, we went through and said, what, what gives us a sense of push? You know, if you're talking sort of, you know, 
50 to 100 kph. What gives us that push? Well, actually, a sense of power is good. And these sounds have a sense of power. And it can be more than just cars. You know, steam trains have a massive sense of powerful sound through them. You can extract that sort of frequency information and go, this sort of lines up with powerfulness. We'll try something in that frequency region. The top end, we want a bit of crescendo. How do we, how do we get crescendo? Well, these sounds have crescendo, and it can be, as I say, more than just... More than just for V12s, it can be, you know, motorbikes or electric cars. You know, they sound like they're crescendoing at times. What is it about that sound? How do we bring that back in? And then how do we design sounds around that that meet the brand? So the sound has to be coherent with the car that you're putting in because otherwise we're back to breaking the illusion. So, you know, the sound design has to be coherent with the brand, coherent with the sound so that you, you actually believe this whole thing is pushing you through. And um, if you've driven spent any time in ipace we've got our active sound design level page and that's you know again when we did the 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 work designing that ipace sound we we put lots of people in the car and said you know which which sort of sound you like how loud you like it as well and um there was a range of responses from the the people that were very enthusiastic drivers i should say when we added the sound in it did change people's behaviors it did change the way they drove the car. Mm, Um, That sound reward coming through meant that our prototype electric car got shoved around Warwickshire in ways that it hadn't been before. And it was fascinating to watch the human response to just adding sound to something that was completely the same. So the acceleration rate and everything was the same. So I'm guessing your job... You know, I I think there are an awful lot of people who will be listening to this who aren't particularly looking forward to our our EV future. But you as a sound engineering, presumably this is a whole new world for you, isn't it? This is a, you know, when you started, you know, what, 20 or whatever, how many years ago it was, um, you could only, an, an awful lot of, you know, what you had to deal with was already there. But now you've got a completely blank canvas. Hasn't it? I mean, presumably for you, that's a massive opportunity, isn't it? It's fantastic yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, it's absolutely brilliant so yeah you're right i mean we spent i spent the first 10 or 15 years of my career making things quiet yeah and only after you've made <laughs> them quiet for 15 years do you start making them sound nice and then once you've started making them sound nice you're presented with this well all of your sounding nice bit has been based around a particular bit of technology that actually is going to run out at some point soon yeah um Right, what now? So, mm. I love the unknown. I mean, well, this, there you you know, we revel in it. <laughs> you are, you're, you're excited about all this, but maybe you can tell us something that will reassure the dinosaurs among us who love a the combustion me. engine soundtrack. <laughs> dinosaurs, Andrew, not just... Not, that was <laughs> um, so, I, I understand how the soundtrack for an electric luxury car is one yeah. thing, yes. right? But let's talk about electric sports cars. Yeah. You've been talking um, so far about excitement, about emotion, about the hairs on the back of your neck standing up. Yeah. In the context of an electric sports car, is that stuff just gone, or is there something you can do? Um, there is stuff you can do. As I say, the iPace, we, we have to leave a bit of space, so the iPace isn't, isn't everything we could do in sportiness, so we will yeah. leaving space for, for more sporting cars through there. But again, we will work from the emotional connection, so be that the you know the particular frequency bands or what what uh you know we work with horror movies or or futuristic or you know a range of cultural references and a range of emotional responses that they come through and then design the sounds that that if we were doing a sports car that, that a sports car 
invokes that emotion. And it's not, as I say, it's, it's not doing a strict copy. We're not copying anything with it. Mm. But you can recognise that this, this sound invokes an emotion through and then what is it about that sound that does that and pulls that through um so you know when we're doing some of the the the, the luxury ones you, you you can actually take musical references you can find the piece of music that just sounds glorious and floaty so you know um i don't know some people love comfortably numb or whatever or some people love love large operas or something that the flower duet you know from uh, I've forgotten where the flower duet comes from. But it sounds glorious and it sounds floaty and there's something about that sound and that frequency content that says, actually, if you had that while you were cruising along the motorway, you would feel calm and relaxed all through. And, you know, we're not going to play loops of music all the way through. I'm not going to curate somebody's radio playlist because that would annoy me more than anybody else on the planet. But if you can invoke that sense through sound as the background, then you're just like, yeah. I am nice and calm. This is part of what we do with the noise cancellation as well. By taking out the really horrible road noise frequencies and stuff, you get that sense of calm and float, and then your car is really good to cruise long distances. Yeah. Um, again, the sports cars are... We sort of know what sports cars are going to do, but we need to... In an EV world, we would have to drag that emotion out of a range of things and then try them, and does it respond right? Because it's... I say the whole designing these things is is much more than just a single sound. So in the I-Pace, you have to... Because you haven't got the gear shift. So in a, in, a, in a classical car, you've got your gears that go through and give you a crescendo six, seven times. You, know, you go through and you can have that. In, a, in a, an electric application where we've just got a single speed, we deliver through layers of sound. So we've talked about the, the powerful bit of sound and the crescendo bit of sound. And actually what we do in the iPace is we provide different layers and that gives you a constantly evolving soundscape. And that gives you something to push for, something to accelerate through, something's changed. And as you accelerate harder, it's changed again. And that's what piques your interest. So these layers progress. And, and that's, as I say, that's what, what gives you through. Um, at the same time, you want to be... You know, that might be 60, 70 miles an hour on a road and you think, oh, this is great, I'm accelerating really hard and stuff. But if you're 60, 70 miles an hour on a, a motorway, you don't want that level of noise. You absolutely want it to be just calm and quiet. And I don't know how people cope in some of their sports cars that are driving down the motorway with their large exhaust. They must be, must be deaf. So, mm. as I say, we have to work not just the sound but also the interaction. So the driver controls it and it becomes at that stage back to musical instruments it comes back to how things behave when you do certain things and the the conversation between the driver and, and the response so you know if you you we could look at things like you know how aggressively you're you're accelerating or braking and actually then go well, actually sir or madam looks like they're uh, they're driving a bit more enthusiastically we'll give them a bit more reward and a bit more bit more engagement through there but so, so to, to, to Dan's point, uh, you know, specifically talking about sports cars, is there not a problem with a reality gap? I mean, people listen to an F-Type R and they yep. know what they're listening to is the sound that an F-Type R makes. And you um, could make an electric car sound like anything you like, but people ultimately know that is not the noise the car is naturally making. It is yes. therefore inauthentic. Yes. Um, and, the, you know, and the thing about, you know, particularly Jaguar sports cars is, is that the authenticity of them is, is one of the, their key characteristics. So how do you make these cars sound exciting and invigorating without people just going, well, that's not real? 
<laughs> yeah, how do we not break the illusion? We talked yeah, about exactly the right. Yeah, yeah. It's I mean we talked about the F type and and the fact that we haven't used sound reinforcement in or electronics in there. It is sound from the the engine, the intake, and the exhaust and and systems like that. So yes, I am acutely aware that there is this this. Yeah, this illusion that we're creating, if you like, within the electric world of, of how far it is. And if you go too far, you can break that illusion. But, yeah, that's a challenge that, are, that is great. I, kn- yeah. I know you can do it. I know you can break it and you just go, no, nope, no more. No, nope, no, nope, that's completely inauthentic. I don't believe it anymore. But by designing what you do and having it interact, and the interaction is key. You know, if it just sounded the same every time, you know, it's rubbish. It's no good. If it's just a single sound that pitches up and down, no, it's no good. It's no interest. You've got to provide the experience to connect the emotional, um, so that you can you can maintain the interest. Once you've maintained the interest, you can actually stretch that envelope of illusion quite a bit. But there is a limit, and we just have to accept that. In the same if, way as I can't generate it to sound like an F type R, and we just accept that. And we say no because yeah. that's inauthentic it breaks it it sounds so. like a, a heck of a challenge but you're clearly excited about it you're clearly up for it so we're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna enjoy seeing how these things evolve um many thanks for taking the time to explain yeah, all this to us it's fascinating fascinating yeah and i think just to just to end this segment of the episode i should play the longer clip of the f type r just to remind everybody what a great soundtrack Sounds like. So thank you for, for joining us. Thank you, Ian. And, thank you very and here's much. here's that clip now. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having us. for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place with linkedin you can hire professionals like a professional post your free job on linkedin.com people today Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Well, Andrew, it's fascinating to hear it from an expert, isn't it? Someone who does this stuff for a living, hmm. thinks about how cars sound. Um, but 
For myself, I I just can't see how a great invigorating soundtrack can be preserved in the EV era. I'll be very happy to be proven wrong, but sitting here now, I just don't don't understand how that's going to happen. What, what what do you think of the idea, which I find superficially attractive? Um, and it kind of comes from the fact that we know that almost all sounds that cars make these days are synthesised to one extent or another. Yeah, It's not just the noise the engine makes, whether it's sort of um, tuning of exhaust lengths or playing sounds through the speakers, you know, you know, the car sounds are synthesised. So if you just turn that up to 11, what you do is you have an EV um, and a menu on your infotainment system and you choose. Hmm. So you wake up in the morning and it's a Monday morning and it's raining and you feel a bit crap. So you just go to work in EV mode. It makes no sound at all. But you actually then you've had a really good day or you're off for the weekend. And you want to hear what a, you know, I don't know, a Can-Am McLaren would sound like. (laughs) Or V12, V10. You know, you choose. Choose your configuration. And it could do that. It's totally artificial. Yes, 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 yes. But also the issue for me there is there's no punctuation there's no gear shifts so how do how do you synthesize the well, sound okay so, so, maybe, so, so, so maybe as you're accelerating they give you a button that you could press which <laughs> i mean you know it sounds absolutely ridiculous and it's completely simulated but yeah. you know so esports they're completely simulated yeah it might be know. that it, it's it, it's certainly not going to be the same it's not going to be what we're used to but no. that's not to say it, it might not be fun um we're just gonna have to wait and see aren't we Ah, oh, it's a fascinating discussion. Maybe we'll get get Ian back on um, oh, and talk more about really soundtracks. Um, now, it would be easy and obvious to now talk about our favourite soundtracks, wouldn't it? Yeah. But that is too easy and obvious. Also, in our recent Engines, Favourite Engines episode, I think we covered some, some of that off. So um, we're instead going to talk about surprising soundtracks. Yes. Um, particularly the cars that you would look at and see the specifications and think, that's going to sound fantastic. And it doesn't. Only for it to not sound fancy. Yeah. So the best example that... You, I know you've got a list, but the best example you gave me was the Ford GT, the V8 one. Well, actually, I think about it, it's both generations. The modern yeah. Ford GT sounds rubbish as well. Yeah. Yeah, but... But, but you yeah, can understand a, that, can't you? It's a V6 twin turbo. Yeah, exactly. But, the but previous this was one, a five-litre supercharged V8. Yeah. There is no excuse for that not sounding absolutely unbelievable. I went out... This must have been 20 years ago. Um, and I had a great run up and down, where was it? Highway one, I think, something like that, uh, with a, with, with a very young, youthful Jethro Bovingdon. Mm. And we did a twin test with the Ford GT and a Ferrari 360 of some description. And it was the only thing I was disappointed by with the Ford because it was a fantastic car in so many other ways, but it just, you've got a car that looks like that and goes like that and handles like that. And it just sounded like a dishwasher. Really? I don't think I've ever heard one. Well, you haven't missed no. anything, right? I mean, it's, no. I mean, sorry, I, I, I exaggerate for effect, obviously. But, <laughs> you know, you make such a, an amazing visual statement. And you kind of write a check with that. And you turn, then turn on the engine. And it's just sort of, really? I'd love to know why that happened. Because there'll be people at Ford working on that car um, who were adamant that they were making a mistake with it, that they had to rethink whatever it was, something about the tuning, um, the exhaust system. I can't believe it was any legislative stuff, because if you listen to 
I don't know, you know, Corvettes from that era. They yeah. all sound amazing. Yeah, and it's 20-odd years ago, isn't it? It's 20-odd so, years ago. So what was it? What was going on? It's bizarre. But that's a great example. Um, let's have a few more. Okay. So, um, yeah, so, the, so uh, Dodge Viper. Yeah. The original Dodge Viper 30 years ago. Eight-litre V10. That's going to mm. sound unbelievable, isn't it? Doesn't. So that's a similar sort of thing to the GT, isn't it? It is a similar Whacking sort of thing, great yeah. engine. Yeah. You expect... Naturally aspirated eight liter V10. How could that not sound amazing? Yeah, but it just doesn't. Are they just being strangled by their exhaust systems? Do you think that, that's basically all yeah, it is? I, I think it probably is, but why? Yeah, what it for? can't be. It, I, don't, I don't. Maybe it is, but I can't imagine it's because they think that's what people want to hear. No, 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 no. Mm. Um, so it's less of one which isn't. Um, well, okay, this is a bit of a cheap shot. Porsche seven one eight. Yeah. Four-cylinder Cayman and Boxster. Four-cylinder Cayman and Boxster. Meh. They, they, they're just... Actually, do you know, they, they sound bad even by, like, sort of... You know, I mean, obviously, they don't sound great compared to a naturally aspirated flat six. Mm. But actually, they don't sound that great compared to other four-cylinder engines. Yeah, there, there are four-cylinders that sound good. There are four-cylinder boxes that sound good. Think of an old Impreza engine. Yeah. A lovely... And, yeah, and think sound. of a Honda VTEC engine. Yeah. And sound absolutely even, amazing. Even something like a, the four-cylinder turbo engine in a A45 AMG. Um, and there's a lot of exhaust trickery going on there. But it's a good soundtrack for a four-cylinder. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I totally agree. Porsche got that one wrong. They did. It's, um, it's a rare occurrence, isn't it? But it does happen. What do you think of the Nissan GTR sound? Um, it's very sort of blast furnace-y. Um, Lots of wind rush. Yeah, it's not very tuneful, is it? No. No, it's not. But it's sort I mean, of honest. That, it's honest and authentic. Yeah. And, that, and that engine is amazing. I mean, I suppose you could, you could have the same sort of crack at a Ferrari F40, although I think that sounds absolutely unbelievable. Um, mm. Anything with a W formation engine in it. Yeah. So I'm particularly thinking W12 Bentleys. Yeah. You know, six litre, 12 cylinder. You'd think that would sound. And they just, I've never heard one. The, who, who soundtracked, I, you know, certainly none that ever sort of stirred my soul at all found remotely invigorating. Um, no. Yeah, you know, some have sounded better than others. But, you know, it, it's one of the main reasons that I'm always saying, whether it's a Continental or a Flying Spur or a Bentayga or anything else, oh, just get the V8. Because, we, you know, we know, we know that we the V8... We say it a lot, don't we, yeah. Yeah, yeah we, we do say it a lot. Uh, and I think so much of that is because the V8 just sounds amazing. It's a wonderful-sounding mm. engine. That low, um, you know, far or thunder. And yeah. The, the w, and that will be something to do with its configuration. It's not a coincidence well, that it's a W formation engine. So it's basically yeah. two V6s, isn't it? Rather than um, a conventional, well, V12. Um, mm. It'll be something to do with, you know, someone like David Tug will be able to tell us exactly why W12 doesn't sound very good. And, he'll, yes. and I'm sure he'd say, well, there's not much you can do about it. On the W theme, then, what about Bugattis, yeah. modern Bugattis? No, do I they agree. Sound... They're, on, they're, they're on my list, too. Mm. I, I mean, Interesting. Like I I've driven a Chiron, I've driven a Veyron, and, okay, a Chiron sounds better than a Veyron. But, you know, they should be, given the performance, given the price, given the brand, they should basically be the best-sounding cars that have ever, that, that have ever existed. Mm. And they're mm. not. And they're just not. Yeah. And they're just not. Also, the engines we're discussing here, the Ws, they've all got turbos yeah at least two turbos so that's going to be a part of it isn't it because that does muffle you do lose some of the exhaust note with turbos um, yeah 
I remember being at Ferrari talking to some of the Ferrari people about soundtrack um, and they gave the example of the 456, so the V12 GT car. Yes. And um, I was told that the early ones just didn't sound very good, just sound, sounded quite flat. That's an NA V12. Okay, it's not a outright supercar, but you would expect an yeah. NA Ferrari V12 to sound pretty good. So I disagree. Um, I, I, I remember driving that car well, funny enough, it was almost exactly 30 years ago. Mm. Um, it didn't sound amazing, but I didn't expect it to because it was a 2 plus 2 GT car. Mm. It sounded pretty so good. I, so I was, okay, so what I was told by a Ferrari person was that they weren't happy with the soundtrack at all. So okay. for the revised version, was that the M, the 456M? Yeah, was or, this Franco who told you this? No, What's no, it? this is actually just one of the PR people. Um, they said they changed the firing order. To bring a ah, bit more character to the soundtrack. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, so you can, you you might have the the right basic ingredients, an NA big V12, but if something like the firing order is off, it's just not going to sound right. Yeah, um, it's a it's a bloody complicated thing actually, as we heard from Ian, getting even the right seeming, you know, the, the, apparently the right kind of engine to sound fantastic. It's a very complex and detailed thing. It takes yeah, a lot I- of tuning work. And yet, if I can just briefly flip over to my other column, it's just somewhat shorter, yeah. um, of cars which sound better than they have any right to. Um, my Caterham. Yeah, it does. It's that, so it my Caterham, which has a 1700 Crosslow Ford engine, is basically, it's a large lump of iron that was designed in the 1950s for the Anglia. And it started life <laughs> as a one-litre engine with 38 horsepower. I yeah. mean... There cannot be less pre-processing <laughs> raw, raw material than that. And yet, yeah. it sounds unbelievable. I, I don't know if you've ever heard your own car driving at you. I have. No. I've heard you driving at me in your car. Yeah. And you get the induction bark, but it, it sounds like a low-flying helicopter. It's an extraordinary sound. <laughs> it's just brilliant. It's just... And it's, it's obviously... It's, it's because it's got a couple of twin 40 Webbers strapped to the side of it, sticking out the yeah. bonnet. Um, yeah. But you know, I don't care why it sounds like that. It just does, and it's a completely mm. natural. You know, no one's no one's ever tuned any, you know, exhaust length or manifolds or anything on that. That's just what it does, and mm. I love that about it. Uh, mm. And 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 what it does is, despite the fact that it's an all iron pushrod engine designed in the 1950s, it makes every journey special. It makes mm. literally getting it out the shed special. Sitting yeah, there, it does make a difference. Listening to it, you know, going through the usual startup process. Um, it's a, it, it is a genuinely core part of my enjoyment of that car. So, top mm. tip: everyone, go and buy yourself Crossflow Sevens. <laughs> <laughs> so, the only other one I wanted to talk about was. It's been a while since we mentioned this car, the Alpine A110. Oh, uh, um, go on. The now the the sports exhaust option, the optional sports exhaust on the A110, is. The pipes might be different as well, I don't know, but it's mostly just a tube that goes from the top of the engine and connects to the bulkhead behind you. Um, So it pipes real sound from the top of the engine into the cabin, and I presume there's a valve in it so it can switch on and off. Um, It makes a huge difference to how the Mm. car sounds. In my view, actually, that's just that should be the standard option the standard exhaust do, do all the um, press cars have sports exhausts on them yeah they've they've all had them yeah, i don't think sure. i've ever driven one without it well you've driven mine i think did you drive mine or yeah, you've been in mine yeah so mine didn't have it and i i do think 
the, the soundtrack that you get with the sports exhaust, that should just be standard because it's a sports car. It's supposed to sound invigorating. I think they all should have had that. Um, but the point I wanted to make is I'm, I'm quite, and lots of other cars do this, a physical bit of ducting, taking sound from part of the engine and just ramming it up against a bulkhead so that it floods into the cabin. I, I'm okay with that. But, but using the speakers, right, and what most of them do is they record engine sound using a microphone and then they play that sound through the speakers so it's louder perhaps a bit richer it's still real sound that's just another way of transmitting that real sound into the cabin but somehow it seems like cheating that one but you're unaware of it i mean mm. i mean I, I i i will admit to the fact that cars have been playing sounds through their loudspeakers for some considerable period of time before i even realized it before anybody told me that was what Is was that actually right? going on yeah and Okay, so the last car on my list, and it's kind of the one in the middle, because it is the most, I think, of all car sounds, it is the most divisive. And I think that a lot, there are many people who don't like the way that it sounds than do, but I'm one of the ones who do. BMW i8. Oh, yeah, yeah. That little three-cylinder mini-engine. Yeah. yeah. Which, you know, is absolutely synthesised um, and tuned and modified I think it's, I mean, I, I ran one for a year. I never didn't like the way it sounded. Mm. But so many people say, in mm. fact, if you go and look up, you know, list of the most disappointing car sounds, you know, an i8 will often figure on those, on those lists. But I just thought it was, it, to me, it sounds like a, v, it sounds like a nicely tuned V6. Mm. And, you know, fair play for them. You know, they've obviously done some really, really clever stuff because it sounds nothing like the Mini it came out of. No, no, it doesn't. Yeah, it is. It is an enjoyable soundtrack, actually. The I, I, I agree with you. Oh yes, but it's so artificial. It's synthesised. Yeah. But, but the point is, everything is these days. They all are. There we go. Um, soundtracks. It's an interesting topic, actually. We haven't really done much on soundtracks before, so we'll do more because, particularly as cars change as we move towards the EV era, I just don't understand how they're going to keep us excited with the way cars sound but but isn't it great that there are guys like ian there, there yeah. guys like ian out there who are actually rubbing they're not sort of wringing their hands in despair they're rubbing no. their hands together with yeah. eagerness um, yeah. because you know they've got a blank canvas they want to make and it's, it, and it's a fantastic challenge for them i just hope i just really really hope that they find a way to keep you and i don't matter so much but you know younger generations because i think the way cars sound you know when you and i are growing up particularly me the amount I soaked up from standing at the side of racetracks, listening to the sounds, because if you stand at the side of a racetrack, actually cars don't tend to look that far unless you're in Italy or the more, some of that. If you're like at a club meeting at Castle Coombe. But the sounds of the things, particularly if you're listening to cars from, you know, all different walks of life, and it's the sounds that I think you soak up. And I think that so much of your formative experience and your early education, it, you know, it comes through your ears as, as much as through your eyes. And it's just, I just think it's really important that one way or another, both to those on board and to the outside world, cars continue to sound good. Mm. Yeah, actually hearing you describe that then, I'm just thinking about being on a rally, spectating on a rally, maybe exactly. at night, in the forest. Yeah. And even before you see the headlights sweeping through the woods, you hear the exhaust bark or the anti-lag going, bah, 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 bah. and it's, mm. oh, that's almost the most exciting part of it. Um, I, can, I, I can remember in the middle of the night standing, what I usually you know, always 
did and still do when I can. You go out to, I don't know, Terre Rouge or someone like that in the middle of the night at Le Mans. And I can remember standing there at one o'clock in the morning, and this was, it must have been, I don't know, 10 years ago when Audis were winning absolutely everything. Maybe even more than that, when there were diesel Audis. Mm. So not only couldn't you, you couldn't see them because all, you know, it was just blares mm. of headlights, but then these cars, and you couldn't hear them either. Yeah. And I cannot tell you how much of my enjoyment of that spectacle was lost because you could, you know, when I first started going, you know, you used to have uh, Jaguar V12s and Mercedes V8s and Porsche Flat 6 and those incredible sounding uh, rotary engine Mazdas. Uh, and that's what people used to talk about. Did you hear the Mazda? Mm. And mm. then, you know, the diesel-powered cars came out. And I decided the only time I've ever sort of missed a chunk of Le Mans was I decided I wasn't going to go back until there was a chance for something powered other than a diesel engine to win the race outright because the sounds mm. were just so integral to the experience. So, so I'm rattling on, aren't I? But, uh, yeah, <laughs> sounds count. There you go. They're important. They are important. Mm. All right, let's move it on. We're doing What Goes Up, which is our occasional segment where we look at market trends, what's happening out there in the marketplace. Now... It's a good one this time because our car finance partner, JBR Capital, has compiled the luxury car report. It's the first such report that it's put together. And these will become a regular thing. They're going to publish one of these every quarter. Um, A really detailed look at the luxury car market in the UK. Now, hopefully it's going to become a useful bellwether for people like us. Anyone who comments on um, the luxury car sector, which we do all the time. Um, Now, when they say luxury cars they're using a very broad definition. That includes... I mean, expensive. Cars, supercars. Yeah, they're expensive EVs, SUVs, the whole lot. Um, so the, the cars that we spend a lot of time talking about. Now, the, this first report uses data from the last sort of two or three years up until May this year. Um, now, clearly, even since then, things have changed. Interest rates have continued to go up. Um, so it will be interesting to see when the next report comes along in a couple of months exactly how things have changed because there's no doubt we're in a period of flux at the moment. Um, now, it's important to bear in mind that this luxury car report is mostly to do with used cars because JBR Capital's finance agreements are mostly on used cars. In fact, it's 89% used, 11% brand new. Um, and it concerns more than 6,000 finance agreements, so it's a good sample size. Um, So I'll rattle through a few of the headlines and then we'll get stuck into some of the details. So the average sale price of a luxury car was £105,000. So yeah, we are talking expensive cars here. The average age of a buyer for one of these cars was 42. So I've only got a few years to get my act together. Um, the yes. average no gross, comment. <laughs> the average gross salary of a supercar owner was one hundred and fifty-four thousand pounds. The no so hang on, so, so hang on. So there are people who are earning one hundred fifty-four thousand pounds a year mm. who are financing cars costing one hundred and four thousand pounds. One hundred five thousand. Yeah, yeah. So two thirds of their salary. Wow, mm. that's amazing, isn't it? On average, yeah. It just it just goes to show you, well to me it's just how important you know, to some people you know their their, their wheels yeah. are yeah that's yeah, it amazing does. it really does now mm. no surprises here the most financed mark was Porsche the most financed single model was the 911 almost 12 percent of all JBR Capital's finance agreements are for 911s which is a lot but actually it's not surprising because well we I tell know you what is interesting is. is that if you look at what Porsche actually sells. 911s mm. in a very small minority. Yeah, compared to the 
five compared stuff. to Cayennes or Macans or you know yeah, or, or, yeah. Or, or everything else. Um, mm. So I think that says a lot about JBR and frankly a lot about how discerning JBR's um, customers are. <laughs> and actually, when you think about how varied the 911 model range is, you know, there's a 911 yeah. for everyone, really, isn't there? So that's that's perhaps why. Um, I, I've, so I've pulled out some of the other interesting insights, and th- there's one here that will maybe make you wonder. Now, inevitably, EVs have been, been getting more and more popular among JBR's customers. In 2019, electric cars accounted for 2% of JBR's finance agreements. 2%. Just three years later, that was 7%. But in 2023, so far, it's slipped back to 5%. Yeah, so I, think, I think we, I think we are seeing there. this, aren't we? Mm. I think we what are seeing... What is going on there? Well, I think in 2019, it was all, particularly at that level, at the luxury level, it was all pretty new. Um, yeah. And then I think all the early adopters pile in when, you know, really good EVs, um, like, I don't know, Porsche Taycans, come in. Um, and now I think, I think I detect that there is increasing concern... There was a bloke who runs the Moto Services, mm. you know, that network of service stations on motorways around the UK, who was on Radio 4 the other day, saying that he now finds himself in the ridiculous situation where he has got electric charging points on his four Colts that he cannot turn on because there isn't the electricity to supply them. Pfft, so, you know, this is a whole new problem um, because people you know, talk about queues trying to get up to charging points and charging points being broken and, you know, and everything else. But now if a bloke like that, you know, if anyone's going to know, he's going to know, is saying there literally isn't the electricity to supply them. I'm not surprised that people are beginning to think, well, is, is the infrastructure there for this? Mm. And mm. maybe thinking, well, maybe we'll, I'll just put it off for another couple of years. I don't know. I don't, I don't know mm. what's behind this fall but it's something's driving it isn't it yeah and again you know i'm interested to see what the next report says because if if it has plateaued or if it creeps down a little bit further that really does say something about what's going on out there um in the real world and similarly suvs had been getting more and more popular so in 2021 just over 20 percent of jbr's finance agreements were for SUVs. That had risen to 40% a year later. Wow. But there are signs that it's just tailing off or just plateaued a little bit. Okay. Um, it's, it's only in the last sort of couple of months or even weeks. So maybe it's too small a sample size to reach any real conclusions. But just the earlier signs that maybe it's plateauing a little bit. Um, so, again... I, I've been predicting the end of the SUV for 30 yeah, years. No, yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm absolutely not going to come on here and say, oh, yes, that's it, game's up. Um, I suspect it's not. I suspect they'll go on. I, I suspect it probably is just going to reach the natural. I mean, I think the other thing we need to think about is the effect of, you know, of petrol prices and the war in Ukraine and that sort of thing. So maybe in 2022, um, when fuel suddenly got very expensive, people piled into mm. EVs. And now that fuel prices have come back down to somewhere near what we traditionally expect maybe people are thinking well actually i can afford to buy a petrol car instead i just don't yeah. know but it's it's these are all you know it's, it's all good stuff isn't it it's a co- yeah it's a very complex matter and i think we'll keep we'll keep an eye on it because it is interesting so the most popular 10 models i'll rattle through these porsche 911 as we know land rover defender range yeah. rover sport range rover yeah. so the three of them in there mercedes so this is G-class. an order from 
Yeah, this is in so, order. So hang on, so how far down the order do we have to get before you know, before we get to something which isn't an SUV? Well, the 911's at the top. Well, yeah, other than that, yeah. Okay, so Mercedes G-Class in fifth, Lamborghini Urus in sixth. Wow. And then, then we've got Huracan, Audi R8, Porsche Taycan, Mercedes AMG GT. No Ferraris? No Ferraris in there. No. Wow. Um Luxury wow. SUVs. So, yeah, the top three, as we know, are Defender, Range Rover, Sport, Range Rover. Um, the Discovery is also in the top 10. So Land Rover has 49% of the SUV market, the, the luxury SUV market. In almost this country. Half, in this country, almost half. Yeah. Um, so just to round things out, there's this interesting quote from JBR Capital founder, Darren, who says, the buying frenzy in the luxury and supercar sector took off as the country emerged from COVID, demand quite simply exploded to outstrip supply. That remained the case until very recently, when we noticed the first signs of the market entering a phase of what could be best described as malaise or stagnation. So something is going on. In the last couple of months, something's happening, it seems. Um, A cooling off, people Mm. changing their buying habits slightly, maybe. But it's good insight, isn't it? It's it's interesting stuff. Let's see what the next one, the next report tells us, and maybe things are starting to shift. And so, you, how um, often do these, did you say they're quarterly? These reports, quarterly, yeah, quarterly. Wow. So the next one's due in a couple of months. Brilliant. Look forward to hearing about it. What goes up is sponsored this week by car finance specialist JBR Capital. We've been working with JBR Capital for a while now, and it's been a brilliant partnership for us. High-end car finance is all the company does meaning it understands the car market and car buyers better than most. So before you buy your next sports car, supercar, classic car, luxury car, even a brand new car, go and see what JBR Capital can do for you on the finance side. Visit jbrcapital.com or click the link in description. And this bit is important. Tell them the intercooler sent you. JBR Capital is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority. So... We've got a listener question here, and it is a good one. It's going to make this a long episode, but that's okay. Um, Before we get onto it, I will just remind you all to subscribe or follow wherever you listen to the podcast, whatever app you use. Hit the little button that says subscribe or follow. Honestly, it helps us a lot. It's how we find new listeners. It also means you won't miss another episode. So the listener question this week comes from Philip Benson. He says, what cars are most fun to drive at responsible speeds? Is a 997 911 GT3, more fun to drive than a 992 as its limits are lower and the footprint is appreciably smaller. Why is an A110 more fun to drive at reasonable speeds than a Cayman? Is a Caterham 7 and a Series 1 Elise the ultimate example of this? So do you kind of agree with what he's getting at there, that there are certain cars that aren't about outright performance, aren't about power and grip, that can actually be more fun to drive on the public road in amongst other traffic? Yeah, completely, completely. Um, and we've, we, we, we have said this before, haven't we? Um, many, many times about, you know, we, when we, you know, we talk about peak car and when that was, yeah. I think we're all agreed that's at some point, sadly, in the past. Um, and how this sort of mad desire for more, 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 which, which is all response to customer demands for more power for more grip for bigger wider heavier more powerful everything cars what you actually do every time you do that is you degrade the driving experience um and yeah absolutely on a public road a 997 gt3 um 
because it is you know it is more compact um, because you know it has power that you can use for all sorts of reasons is going to be more fun than uh, a 992 GT3 but then again 992 GT3 is much more of a track oriented car and on the track I think mm. you'd find the situations um, very much reversed but yeah I mean we said it about you know it's, it, it, it's not for nothing that the A110 was, is the only car we've ever awarded 10 stars to mm. because it is compact because it is light um, because you can access its performance I mean so much of the fun of driving a car and I won't bang on too much more about my Caterham 7 but you know so much of the fun of that is the same as the A110 it's because you can actually use 100% of what it can do uh, in safety um, on a public road try and do that in a 992 GT3 and well good luck to you I don't want to give away the your verdict in your brilliant 911 group test that we published on the app and website recently but that story by the way has gone great guns um it 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 got people talking it brought in lots of new subscribers as well actually people are interested in the 911 still what we did was we took three seemingly similar 911s all manual coupe rear drive um even actually down to two seat 911s um we had a carrera t a carrera gts and a 911 GT3 Touring, um, and the, the the two Carrera models had the rear seats deleted. Um, almost coincidence, really. But it, it meant that these three 911s looked very similar, but actually when you drove them, they were quite different. And the Carrera T, the cheapest car there, the least powerful car there, the least grippy, the least sort of focused car there, was by no means the least enjoyable to drive. No. Um, and but the point I, I is think... it didn't hold anything up. It never no, struggled no. to keep up. All three cars. We spent a day driving, a, you know, across mountain roads, and it would have been the idea that somehow the T might be left behind mm. was ridiculous. Which just goes to show you can't even use all the T's performance, let alone the GTSs, no. let alone the GT3s. No. no, and that's the point. So the GT3 yeah. Touring, it's got, it has got more grip. It's on those. Uh, it wasn't on Cup Twos. It was on Pirelli P Zero Trofeo tyres, wasn't it? It was on courses, um, maybe. Yeah. Courses, yeah, courses, I think. Um, so grippier tyres. It's got a more focused chassis setup. It has got tighter body control, which works on a smooth road. And so those are things that, when you think about it, come to the fore, make themselves known only really when you are going faster along a road than a Carrera T can go. And I tell you what, a keenly driven Carrera T, I don't need to drive along a road any faster than that. That Absolutely is not. bloody fast enough for yeah. me, thank you very yeah. much. So yeah, Philip, you're, you've, you've got a point. There, there definitely is something to be said for cars that um, focus on thrills on the road at moderate, sensible speeds, um, because they very often are more enjoyable to drive. Uh, Can I say one last thing on a completely different subject? I'll be very, very brief. Um, Anybody listening to this um, who was kind enough to buy tickets for our first ever live recorded podcast um, happening later this month at Henry's Car Barn, thank you so much. I know that a lot of you, um, by the time you tried to subscribe, we'd already sold out. Um, our apologies for that. We have already, we already know where and when the next one is going to be, and we will be making um, noises about that in the not too distant future. Yep. Yeah, well said. Stay tuned um, and we'll bring you news of that one very soon. Thanks for listening and come back next week. Bye.
the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.